Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I've made a couple of jokes about vapors in the past, people who vape. Um, and there is something, that means I've actually watched some vape videos or seen some clips on Twitter and YouTube and stuff. I don't particularly get into it because I don't smoke and I don't see the ability to produce a large volume of smoke at one time as being something I would aspire to. I don't want to take it away from them. They are, if they are chasing the cloud, as it were, if they are trying to get to the largest cotton they can and swirl a tornado. I mean, have at it. That's what you want to, how you want to live your life. That's what you want to do. I have no say in that. I shouldn't have any say in that. I hope you're happy with the Ruby Tuesday flavor smoke you're, you're puffing on there. I hope your rig is always cool enough. Battery is always juiced up. I don't know how vapors wish well to each other, but I do that. I, I hope your jewel is solid. But I have noticed that there are times when vapors in videos will vape very hard and then they will look at the camera so basically looking at me directly and they will what we would call mean mug they would put on a face like they've just beat me in a fight they look at me like they've just defeated me i don't really get that part i think this is maybe the bit i'm most confused by you've you've blown a smoke ring and yes it's big it's a big smoke ring, and I'll never blow a smoke ring that big. And maybe you've even gone so far as to blow a smaller smoke ring through the big smoke ring that passes through at a slightly higher velocity, so they actually go through each other. And maybe that makes the big smoke ring spin, spin some more. I don't know. But you haven't done enough to justify looking at me like I was calling you out and I've been defeated. Because at no point did I say you couldn't do that, at no point did I doubt your ability, and most importantly, at no point did I care. So, to people who vape, maybe consider blowing some big smoke, get a cloud out there that, that, that's, that's rad, and then instead of looking like you just punched me into the ground, maybe just go, hey, aren't we all just friendly, happy people? Because, yeah, I never doubted you. I never, I never lost my faith in you. I never told anyone you weren't capable, which means you haven't beat me at anything. I mean, I wish you well, but I, I kind of want that to come back now. So maybe it's, it's like a little give and take situation where, you know, you blow that smoke, buddy, but you thank me for watching your video at the end of it. So core question, what happened to the group Anonymous? Well, maybe they finally figured out what their name means. Core question, why is whiskey best served neat? Now, my immediate response is it's not. And 
it's not because I think there's a right way or wrong way to serve whiskey. It's just, this is what we get down to its preference. So if you like it neat, that is the right way for you. And if you don't like it neat, then don't drink it that way. I watched a video with uh, an expert of whiskey. He's, he's a connoisseur or a sommelier. I don't actually know what the whiskey es- experts would actually be called. But one of the more interesting facts that came out of that was that whiskey being about 40 some percent alcohol, he said that's actually not the way it was intended to be drunk. You actually should get some very clean, pure, cold water and pour that into the drink. So you cut it down to about 30% alcohol and that brings out all the flavors and it cuts away that really strong alcohol taste and the whiskey tastes better when it's cut. So these experts, this expert guy is saying that whiskey isn't really meant to be drunk straight out of the bottle in a glass. Now, certainly if you enjoy it that way, some people probably like stronger drinks, then absolutely you should drink it that way. But when I saw that this guy who his whole life is whiskey said that cutting it is the proper way to do it, I thought, well, there you go. Why have so many people chosen to just drink it straight? And I think this comes down to being manly. So guys are trying to prove how manly and tough they are by drinking this thing that is essentially the first time you try it undrinkable because it's so strong. And that's how they show off their manhood. Now, I fell into that trap when I was very young. I did the same thing. And then as I got a little older, I went out with some friends and I decided that Whiskey was actually better if you had a highball. So I used to generally get a ginger ale and whiskey combination when I went out with friends. And I had a bunch of friends, and these were all judo guys, so they're all manly men. And one of them, he was kind of the coach. He manufactured so much offense at the idea of cutting whiskey with something else. But I think the thing he didn't realize was that I actually enjoyed whiskey more this way. That's the same thing I have with rum. I drink rum. I drink it usually rum and Coke. But as I have drunk it over time, I do make them stronger and stronger and stronger. So there's more rum, less cola. It's the same thing. But the fact that I preferred it a different way from him, he decided to make that into a big deal, which is one of those things that to me now seems very, very childish. And this was an adult. He was in his 30s or 40s when this happened. And it's because they've manufactured this image of themselves and their whole life based around doing things one way and any other way is the wrong way. And that is a very, very immature way of thinking. So if you like your whiskey neat, absolutely drink it neat. If you like some ice, put some ice in it. If you want to cut it with some water, apparently the experts say you should be cutting it with water anyways. The expert did say that one of the things he doesn't like is when they take all the crushed ice and fill up the glass and put the whiskey in that because he says then you don't actually taste anything but ice. It's just frozen and there's no smell and no other stuff. So I think this is why he wanted the pure water, the clean water poured in there to cut it, and it, but it would bring out the flavor and the smell. But when anyone talks about the right way to do something, unless there is a viable reason like you will burn it, you will ruin it, it will destroy it in some way. To be honest, if that's the way you like it, that's the way you like it and other people's opinion doesn't matter. One of the things you get in Japan a lot is there's a right way to eat food or pair food with a drink. So I bought uh, sushi from a store, so just like a pre-made package and brought it back. And I actually at that time uh, was really tired and I wanted some caffeine, so I had a cola with it. And all the Japanese people acted like I was breaking some kind of rule. And I got honestly quite annoyed because first of all, I'm trying to enjoy my lunch. I don't 
really want to have a conversation about how I'm breaking society's rules with you when I'm just trying to eat my lunch on my break. Years and years later, the Japanese people who went through this with me still bring it up because to them it is so memorable because I broke this, this, this rule that society had imposed upon the world. If you eat sushi, you drink green tea. And yet somehow beer is acceptable because people drink beer and eat sushi all the time. But then how is beer okay? And then if I want to drink a cola or something else, how is that not okay? So you can see they've manufactured rules. They've decided that this drink is okay, this drink is okay, and this drink is okay, but any other drink is not okay. And so when I challenged them on that, they didn't have an answer because really it was like, it's my lunch. If I want to eat it, whose business is it? And that is maybe a secondary issue is what I was really saying is, what I eat, how I eat it is really none of your business. Why are you making an issue of it? But they could tell I was legitimately annoyed, but it's because primarily not because of the uh, breaking of culinary rules. It was actually primarily because I was trying to enjoy myself and they were taking enjoyment out of my life by annoying me, which I wouldn't stand by and let happen. So how do you drink your whiskey? You drink your whiskey any way you want because if you've paid for it, it's nobody else's business. I have always, like most people, I think, always existed in a bit of a moral gray zone. And I, I have committed my crimes. They're all very petty. So I've never done anything that really strongly negatively impacted another person. I don't think. I mean, there may have been results of my actions that did. I don't know about those. So I'm hoping I've lived my life fairly well. That doesn't mean I haven't done bad things or been a bad person. I used to forge my father's signature on tests. You get tests... And you had to take them home and get them signed. I don't remember if it, you had to just get every test signed or if you, only when you didn't do well. And to be honest, in middle school to the early parts of high school, I was not what you would call a great student. I was never one designed for academia. Whatever it is that makes people good at book learning, I wasn't really that. I needed to learn in a different way. I was one of those kids who got the, the thing on the report card that said, Peter's very smart, but he doesn't try. Or... Uh, Peter is not using his full potential. All those kind of comments were very common on any report card I got because I just wasn't interested in school. School did not captivate me in any way. And I think that's a problem for a lot of kids. I've talked about education many times. I care a great deal about education. Uh, I've had a couple of people ask me about, well, since you've thought about it, what would be the ideal education system and the unfortunate true answer is the ideal educational system would actually be individualized to the student. Now, that's an impossibility. That would mean you would need a teacher for almost every person who is being educated. No country could really afford that. But you could actually test students and find which are sort of academically minded and have them on sort of the traditional path. You could find students who excel in that environment and put them in there. But then you could have alternatives. You could have other schools where it's maybe more freeform, self-exploratory, like those schools where you decide what you're going to study that day and there's just teachers available to you to help you study those things. I've read about a bunch of different schools. I think they need more versions of school and we need to change our thinking of how school works. But that's actually not the topic that I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about was how I used to forge my dad's signature. And the thing is, I was really good at it. So... I would get a test, I would take it home, and I would just sign it. I had a couple things that he'd signed previously. So clearly those couldn't have been too bad because I would have gotten in trouble. But maybe then I got a bad test or a bad result of some sort and he needed to sign that. And I started practicing forging his signature. Now, 
I wasn't a good academic student, but I was very good at work. I had a good work ethic. I've something else I've always talked about and taken a certain amount of pride in is my own productivity. This is clearly true even when I was a kid because I put a lot of effort into learning to forge my dad's signature so well that I didn't actually need to copy it from a source after a while. I could just actually write my dad's signature. It would look very similar to his. And then when I signed my own name, it was completely different. I remember in French class, I had some kids sign their names on a piece of paper and I went home and practiced. So I was practicing forgery of my own volition of names that I would never need to forge. So that's that kind of positive work ethic that clearly was within me as a person that education did not exploit in any way and make any use of. So all that talent, if there was any, kind of went to waste. Now, after a while, and again, this kind of behooves the previous points, I switched to my mom's signature because it was harder. So I was now at this point taking something that was wrong and challenging myself to do better at that wrong thing because the current level wasn't satisfactory. Being able to forge my dad's signature was no longer a point of pride. No one, if done successfully, no one would ever have known that I forged a signature in the first place. It would just be, they would take the paper in, get it marked, off you go. Never heard from again. That's if I did my job well. But even then, with no recognition, I took on a higher level of challenge. And I started practicing my mom's signature. I got a couple of things that she signed. And I started practicing that, and I got really good at that. And then I started signing things in her name using her signature. Now, this all came tumbling down because I made a very amateur mistake. I didn't sign something at home when I had the time to do it. And so I needed to sign it and hand it in that day. And the only thing I had with me was a pencil. So I signed my mother's signature in pencil, and I handed it in. And the teacher was immediately suspicious that it was signed in pencil. I don't know why. Maybe I had erased it and tried again or something. I, I'm sure I had made some fundamental flaws because of the time constraints that I had done to myself. Like I had not taken the time to do it properly the night before, like I had every other time previously. I did it wrong, and I didn't do it to the same level or the same quality I had given myself as a standard. So it wasn't as good a signature, I guarantee that. But I remember it was in pencil because he handed the test back to me and said, this isn't real, sign this by your teacher, and he walked away. Then he had a moment realizing that since it was in pencil, I could probably just erase it and go get it signed and maybe not get caught at all. So he came back and he circled the pencil signature in ink that I wouldn't be able to erase. Now, this was a long time ago when I was in school, so this is pre-friction pen. Now, I've, I hate the idea of friction pens, but teachers using those back then would have been a great boon because you put the friction pen in heat and the actual pen disappears. Now, I've learned since that if you put it in the fridge, that ink actually might come back, the color comes back, but that's a separate issue. I might have had a way out if that technology existed when I was a kid, but it didn't. So he'd circled it in pen, so I had to go get it re-signed by my parents in ink. So I had to take this thing back, and I gave it to my mom, and I got in trouble. I mean, my parents were lenient. Like, I didn't get hit. I got, I think I got told I had to stay in my room or something. I don't remember the punishment, which actually immediately demonstrates the punishment wasn't that bad. It was probably perfectly appropriate for the crime I had committed. But I remember my father being incredibly angry at the idea that I had done this. And he turned to me and said, don't you even try with my name. It's too hard. And I bit my tongue. 
because even as a kid, I had a mouth. But I realized I couldn't say to him, not only is your signature not too hard, I gave up on it and started using mom's because your signature was too easy. But I knew at that moment I was already in trouble, so saying something like that would get me even more trouble. So this was maybe the first moment I had learned that saying nothing was the better option. So I said nothing, and life went on, and this chapter of my life was closed. I never continued my forging activities. I actually didn't really forge much after that that I can remember, but I think that's when I went to high school, and quite frankly, they didn't get you to sign that many things by your parents. So since there was no need, I didn't continue with the skill. I didn't practice. I didn't keep on it. So I don't think I could really forge anything now. Maybe that still, that talent still lies within me dormant and I could bring it back with a little bit of practice. But again, now I've reached a stage in my life where there's no real need to forge other people's signatures. I do remember the only other time I had to sign something was in high school. Now in Canada, when you're 18, you become an adult. So I was went to school in Ontario, which has an extra year of high school for students who are going to university. So you have grade 13. But the thing is, once you become an adult, you don't need other people to sign things for you. You can sign your own things. So I forget I'd skipped class or I hadn't shown up for a day or two. And the teacher demanded a note from me signed by my parents. And so I wrote a note just saying Peter was sick and then signed it myself and handed it into them. And that is a really sarcastic thing to do. But because I was an adult, it was perfectly acceptable for me to sign this note. It was just as acceptable as having a note signed by a legal guardian. And the teacher at that point realized there was nothing they could do. If I didn't want to show up for days of school, I didn't have to show up. In my last year of high school, I only showed up about 50% of the time, but I did find a very kind group of teachers who figured out that if they just let me screw around half the week, I would work really hard the other half of the week. So all my assignments were on time. All my assignments were fairly well done. And I managed to get into university. But I think there was a certain understanding that as long as I was doing the work, it didn't really matter if I showed up to class that much. My educational career has been very normal in that I just went to normal schools and did normal things, but I have, had, I have found that my skill sets, the things I was good at, were never encouraged or never exploited or never grown in any way. In fact, a lot of them were kind of dampened down. One of the things I've said to many people is that after so many years in university, I actually think I came out less creative than I was before. I think I went into university a very creative young man, and having had all those sort of standard practices drilled into you, your instinct is to do those first. And a lot of my writing and all the things I tried to do that were creative became less interesting because of standardized education. A more, again, this being a true story, I don't know if there's like a moral or a point, but it does sort of demonstrate how I came to my ideas about education and how they don't really, in most cases, grow children's skills. Now, you don't want to grow a little forger into a big forger. But that is a skill set, the ability to copy things. And is there something that could be done with that? Or maybe I would be interested in art, or maybe I could go into restoration. I mean, there are things that could be done, or maybe I could go into pattern recognition with like those handwriting specialists in CSI. I mean, I don't know. But I realized years and years later that I had a talent, and that talent went away because I wasn't allowed to use it. And that seems like a sad thing to have happen. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet 
at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. It would just be, ah, oh, there's a thing, like with CS, like some of those specialist writing, uh, 